Well, thanks again for joining us this morning, and uh, we're just glad that you're here. Uh, today's topic is really a powerful topic, uh, answering the question, what motivates a Christian to be a Christ follower? Um, how many of us, when you look back to maybe your uh, BC, before Christ days, think about it. What motivated you to surrender your life to Jesus? It's probably a variety of different things, uh, but this morning we're going to see in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians uh, the motivation for Christian life. It really boils down to the resurrection. Now, in review, for those that haven't been tracking with us, we, it's very interesting. In the Corinthian church that was established, uh, the early church, they did not believe in a physical, literal, bodily resurrection, at least for themselves. Many of them were eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection, and they followed that, they believed in that, but they did not believe that their bodies would be resurrected uh, like Jesus was. And so Paul, he takes 58 verses on the importance of the resurrection. And what we're going to see and continue to see here in these scriptures is critical to our doctrine. It is so important to the what we believe. Absolutely everything hinges on the resurrection. The promises of God. We're praying this morning, believing God for miracles that's hinged on the resurrection. Salvation, Romans 4 says that if Jesus was not raised, there would be no forgiveness of sin. How many are thankful that there was a resurrection, right? That we can accept Jesus, our sins can be forgiven. There's victory over death, there's healing. All of these things are based, are rooted in the resurrection. And so this morning, today, as we look at verses 29 through 34, we see Paul, he kind of lays out for us three powerful incentives, what I would call resurrection incentives for Christian living. And so without further ado, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles on the back tables, or you can follow along right behind me. But let's stand and honor God's word. And let's look at these few short verses that are really very, very interesting and uh, very powerful. And let's ask the Lord to apply these to our, our lives as well. Verse 29 says, Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day, I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are those who are ignorant of God, I say this to your shame. Very interesting. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that these few verses, God, would just capture our hearts today, that we would uh, see your hand and just challenge us, Lord, to continue to grow. Lord, we thank you for what you've done so far today, uh, but Lord, I don't believe that you're done. Lord, challenge us by the power of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. The first thing I want you to know from these verses is that resurrection is an incentive for salvation. 
And we're going to get there, but let's look at verse 29. And we see, we'll see it uh, in verse 29 a bit, but it'll take us a while to get there. Look what it says. If there is no resurrection, what will those who are baptized for the dead, or what will those who do, those do who are baptized for the dead? Whew. Uh, if the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? Now, this is a strange verse. How many would agree? In fact, in seminary or in, in Bible colleges all across the United States and in doctoral programs, there are people that have studied and uh, dug into this particular verse um, with very little success. John MacArthur says that there are between 40 and 400 different interpretations. Now, I think he's exaggerating, but he says any one of them, which might be right with some exceptions. <laughs> I thought it was interesting how he uh, described that. Uh, the reality is that there is no biblical uh, teacher that can be dogmatic or say, yes, this is exactly what this verse means. And this is, there's only a few handful of verses in the Bible that are like this, uh, with good interpretation skills, with great, uh, you just... Um, there are very few that you can't get to a, yes, this is what this believes. Now, I would be the first to admit that I don't know what Paul is saying here, all right? <laughs> and, uh, and maybe you've got a better idea, I'm not sure. But I do believe that the Holy Spirit did inspire Paul to write this, and so we want to kind of dig into it. Now, when you look at this verse, what comes up is very interesting, is something that is called vicarious baptism. How many have ever heard vicarious baptism, all right? About three or four of you. Okay. All right. Now, what's interesting about this, this is actually um, based, the Mormon church believes in this, uh, for example. There are others that believe in this as well, that you can baptize people that are living for dead people who never came to Christ. In other words, in your afterlife, you can be saved. So after you pass, if you didn't accept Christ, someone could be baptized on your behalf and you would be saved for an eternity. Now, just so we're clear, this is heresy. It just is. And it started as early as the 2nd century, right after Jesus uh, was, was uh, taken to heaven. Within the 2nd uh, generation, there, there was some thought that came up around this. Now, the problem is, is that this, uh, there's no such thing as vicarious baptism. It goes completely against the standard biblical interpretation you cannot establish doctrine from one obscure text where there are no other support in Scripture. Does that make sense? You can't do that. You can't just pick a verse here and pick a verse there and make it say whatever you want. And this verse is the only verse that talks about resurrection or re talks about baptizing people for or because of the dead. Look what it says. It says, now, if there's resurrection, what will those do, got it this time, who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And you read that and you say, what in the world? And so we look at this and we want, what I want you to know right off the bat is that you are not saved by baptism. Scripture doesn't support that idea as well, especially once you're dead. You are saved because you believe in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. That's where salvation comes. Do we all agree on that? I hope so. But when you study baptism and salvation, they are linked in the New Testament. Throughout the New Testament, 
Baptism is linked to salvation. It's undoubtable. There is lots of scripture, and we'll get there in just a second. Scripture does not teach that to be baptized when you're ready. Like, okay, you give your heart to the Lord, and you say, well, when I get ready, I'll then get baptized. No, if you are a Christian and you're putting off baptism, if you've given your heart to the Lord and you say, well, uh, I'll do it another time or I'll, I'll do it later, listen, there's one of two things. Either you're living in ignorance and you didn't realize that you should be baptized or you're living in disobedience, okay? If you're saved, you're living in disobedience if you haven't been water baptized. Now, I want to show you for a few verses the priority that Scripture puts on being saved and being baptized. Let's turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. We're going to flip through a few of these. You can follow along or you can write them down, look at them later. But look what it says. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. They're linked there in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Those who accepted his message, this was Peter's message, were baptized about 3,000 at that point. Right, they, they believed, they accepted the message, and they were baptized almost immediately. Turn with me to a couple pages over. Acts chapter 8, verse 12. We see a similar pattern. This is uh, Simon Sorcerer's interesting story. Um, uh, it says, But when they believed Philip, who was preaching the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, so when they believed, what happened? They were baptized, both men and women. The proof of salvation is obedience to Christ. And if you claim to be saved and have not been baptized, I would question, are you really saved? Now, I know that can sound hard, but they're linked in the New Testament. Jesus said, how do you call me Lord, Lord, and you're not willing to obey me? It boils down to obedience. Now, some people say, well, I'm afraid of water. Uh, um, or I'm, you know, I'm afraid of, you know, my image, my hair will get wet or my clothes. I don't look good with clothes, you know, you know, sucked to my, um, you know, my body. Well, no one looks good, right? And I would say, get over it. So what, right? Now, some people do say, well, I don't know what I would say, right? Because it's a public confession before others that you're going to serve God forever, right? That's the point of, of water baptism. And I get this, but I want to say, we will help you. We will guide you. We will coach you in those things. The point is, you need to be baptized. Let's look at a couple other verses because the pattern continues. Acts chapter 10, verse 20, or I'm sorry, verse 48, all right? It says, so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. This is at Cornelius' house. They believed in Jesus, and then they were baptized. In Acts chapter 16, a couple pages over, Acts chapter 16, verse 33, um, Paul's in prison, the, the, jail, uh, the jailer gives his heart to the Lord. They go and talk to the rest of his family. Look what it says in verse 33 says, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and they washed their wounds. Then immediately, as soon as they believed, right, immediately he and all his family were baptized. There was an incredible importance to water baptism. One more verse, Acts 19. Acts 19, verse 5. Uh, this is Paul in Ephesus, and this one is very interesting. It says, on hearing this, 
right? They were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you back it up and look at it, uh, they were asked, you know, were you baptized, right? Uh, and they said, no, or did you receive the Holy Spirit when, they, when you believed? They said, no, we have not heard uh, that there was a, a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? And they said, John's baptism. They replied, and then he says, John's rap- baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe uh, in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, what's interesting is that there was two, some of those people had been baptized previously, and, they, and Paul didn't say, well, they were baptized, uh, that was good enough. No, they needed to be baptized with the full understanding of Jesus and the work of Scripture. And I just want to talk to uh, the tradition that there are some, and maybe even some here, that were baptized as an infant. Well, that is not a scriptural uh, uh, phenomenon. In Scripture, you can't find that anywhere. Uh, now, there are people, there are, it was man-made, and it feels good to kind of you know, bless your kid, and I get that. But um, listen, Paul, in this case, said that wasn't good enough. John's baptism, they were re-baptized, and I would challenge anyone that was baptized as an infant If you have accepted Christ and you understand that, you need to be baptized. It's linked to your salvation. Now, you're not saved because you're baptized, but it is a sign of obedience. And I want to say this as well. On Good Friday this year, we have got a worship night that we're tailoring uh, that is going to be an incredible night of worship, and we're going to provide opportunity for you and for your family and for others that have been saved recently to be baptized. And if you've been holding off, this is your opportunity. Sign up. We want to make, um, make that a, a possibility for you. We, can, we want to encourage you to do that. Now, back to 29, which I've been avoiding. <laughs> Vicarious uh, baptism, right? All right, let's look at uh, this verse again. We uh, Gordon Fee says there's no historical or biblical precedence for vicarious baptism. Uh, theologically, it would have all kinds of problems. Um, and so we got to take our best guess. What is Paul trying to say here? And uh, Gordon Fee kind of narrows it down to 12 different ideas. And uh, I've studied, I've looked over them. You know, when it talks about baptism because of the dead or baptism or being baptized for the dead, um, this is my best, uh, best shot at it, and it's going to be short and sweet, and uh, take it for what it is. But I was wondering, uh, what kind of resonated for me, is how many of you have ever known someone that got saved because of a Christian who had died? All right? You, maybe you're at a funeral, and you, you show up at the funeral. You're not walking uh, in, with the Lord, but the person that had died, had served God, was a great example uh, in life. Now they pass, and what happens many times, and I've seen this many, many times, is that person all of a sudden says, you know what, I realize because of the dead person, I'm going to get saved. <laughs> I, I realize that, that death is inevitable. And the point is, really, I believe that if the dead are not raised in this context, if resurrection is not real, why would you give your life to Jesus in the first place? People get saved because they anticipate the blessed hope, the resurrection. It's one of the strongest incentives that a believer could have. The hope of resurrection is a great incentive for salvation. So that's my best guess.
But number two, let's continue. In verses 30 through 32, we see that resurrection is an incentive for service as well. Look what it says. Um, In verse 30, it says this, And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus more uh, for mere human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Resurrection answers the question, why am I doing this? Why am I willing to sacrifice in my life, and it answers it for you as well. The truth is, we will all stand before Jesus one day. There will be an account where we've said yes to Jesus. Those will be accounted. Where we've said no to sin, it will be counted, and it will be in our account. There will be an account, not only of our sin, but I believe every time we serve, we will receive a reward in heaven so when you serve in the preschool or in the nursery or in club 252 with miss deb and you say man i feel like i've served and no one's paid attention it was it meaningful did it ever make a difference yes it made a difference for your eternity you may never see the sign or the fruit of your labor but in heaven there will be a reward a reward in verse 31 it talks about paul that he dies almost every day he's uh, almost dies every day and paul he really meant that in acts chapter 14 at lystra he was left for dead in acts chapter 17 he was flogged and then kicked out of the city turn with me to second corinthians chapter 11 a very interesting verse here Uh, a set of verses that talk about Paul's life. Let's look at what it says. It says, are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashings uh, minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in an open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger of Gentiles, in danger in my city, uh, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have gone and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily, again he says, listen, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul, it was no easy ride for him. Paul, he laid it all on the line. And I was thinking about it this week. If I were to measure my life according to Paul's, I'm a lightweight. I mean, I haven't had any of these things happen hardly. I mean, if I'm honest, and then in verse 32, he talks about beasts. And some say, well, no, he would not have been uh, thrown to the beast. It's more metaphorical. It's very possible that that's true. As a Roman citizen, uh, it was against the law to throw a Roman citizen into the wild animals. Uh, Some believe that Paul was put in an arena, and like Daniel, the animals fell asleep. We don't know for sure. But what is Paul's point here? What is Paul saying? He says, look, 
what would I gain if when I die, that's it? Everything I've done would be useless. It would have no meaning. If there's no resurrection, then suffering for the cross is a waste of time. And I'd be a fool to do it. Does that make sense? Paul, he's saying, look, you say, well, what then did motivate Paul? Turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, we see this. He says, for our light and momentary troubles. What? <laughs> I mean, we just read what he's gone through. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Anything we experience on this side of eternity that's a struggle far outweighs what we will see in, or it, it's nothing compared to what we will receive in heaven. The idea is whatever I endure, I will it will increase my glory in heaven. And you say, really? The quality of my service, the depth of my service, doing it for the sake of the gospel will achieve a capacity to glorify God like none other. There will be different stages in heaven. We will have different classifications according to our works here on this side of eternity. The point is, is what you do in this life today, what you do as you have breath on this side of eternity, affects what happens in the next. God, he will pay it back. Every sacrifice. One chapter over, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. See, we'll sit, and we've talked about this early on in 1 Corinthians, the Bema seat, the judgment seat, where we will be judged uh, before our Heavenly Father. Uh, it's funny, I was thinking about it. When, we were, when I first met Jessica, uh, her family often talked about getting jewels in their crowns. Remember, Jess? And uh, that really comes from one of our missionaries now that we support, Phil and Lisa DeMusto. But Lisa DeMusto would tell Jessica a lot growing up. Uh, you know, Jessica you know, was a typical teenager maybe. I'm not sure. And I don't know if you were resisting, wanting to serve. I'm not sure. Uh, but it, probably, she says. And, uh, but her youth pastor's wife would often say, hey, it's just another jewel in your crown, just another jewel in your crown. And there's a lot of truth to that, that what you do on this side of eternity will affect your destiny. Paul's saying, look, I do not want to stand in heaven with nothing to lay at the feet of Jesus. And I just ask you to look inside your own life. What about you? What are you doing to serve the Lord, really? If you believe in a resurrection, which we do at the Gateway Church, we believe that you will stand before God and you will give an account. Are you serving? Now, verse 32 kind of continues. It says, if there's no resurrection and no, no account, just party hard, right? Look what it says. I love this verse. It's so interesting. If there's no dead, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. If you take away the resurrection, you take away a Christian's incentive to serve. But if you flip it over and say, you know what? There is a resurrection. Then you look at it and you say, okay, 
What is the incentive to serve? Well, look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35. Turn there. Because there's a list of saints in Hebrews chapter 11. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks. Who invested their lives in the kingdom of God. And what I love, listen to what it says. Though they f- had faith, t- they subdued kingdoms. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the violence of the sword. They escaped the edge of the sword out of their weakness. They were made strong. They became valiant in a fight. They turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Um, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Others had trials, cruel mockings and scourgings and bonds and imprisonment. They were stormed. They were sawed in half. They were tested. They were slain with a sword. They wandered in sheepskins and goatskins destitute, afflicted, and tormented. All of this is in Hebrews chapter 11. Why would all of these saints have gone through those things? Look at verse 35. That they might obtain a better resurrection. Anything you sacrifice on this side of eternity will be rewarded forever and ever and ever. Isn't that incredible? Whatever we would give. And so we see here that resurrection is an incentive for salvation. It's an incentive for service. And the third is that resurrection is an incentive for sanctification. Let's look at it. Verse uh, 33 and 34. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought. Stop sinning, for there are some uh, who are ignorant of God. And I say this to your shame. Now I need a couple volunteers um, uh, that want to help me out with something Um, because what this verse is talking about is uh, very interesting. When I was a kid's pastor, I loved this verse. We use this illustration. Uh, I don't know volunteers. I'm, I'm going to have to pick. I need two guys. Let's do, we don't want to embarrass any of the ladies. Two men, strong men, manly men. Oh, I see that hand. Are you willing to help me? No. Man, all right. I'm just one strong man. Thank you. Let's encourage. All right, yes, Joel. All right, we got Joel. And now, Joel, I'm going to give you the hard. He needs a volunteer. All right, so so why don't you pick somebody, all right, that can help you out, uh, but make sure that they are willing to come, all right? Oh, he he says, brother, here you go. Okay, all right, now, now, we're going to pretend for a second that Joel here is a solid believer, loves the, I mean, we're, we're not going to pretend. He is a solid believer. He loves the Lord. And let's just, uh, you know, imagine that because he's given his heart to the Lord, he's on his way to heaven, all right? So just kind of ha- step up there, right? Just the second step there. And uh, he's elevated. He loves the Lord. He's, he's serving God. He's, he's on his way. And, uh, but he wants to continue to hang around those that aren't so godly and sam you're going to represent the non-believer you haven't given your heart to the lord you're living life like it doesn't matter all right and he comes along and now they're going to be in relationship now i don't want you to hold hands like you're dating all right i want you to hold hands like this all right just kind of like this now they're in a partnership they're hanging out they're spending time together and they're, it's kind of a going going back and forth and joel he's been praying for us sam you know saying man i'm going to get him up here and so just try to get him up on that ladder there uh go ahead joel just get him up there come on however whatever it takes you know just get him up there Yep, yep, he's working hard. The relationship is obviously, but on the same side, Sam, he doesn't care. 
And he's giving a little, uh, you know, tug back, right? He's saying, hey, come on down here. It's pretty fun. <laughs> and what happens, even though Joel is stronger, he's on his way, it's tough to get to stay on that ladder. Let's give him a hand. All right, good job. And we used to use this. I used to use this illustration with kids. We'd put a kid on a chair. We'd pick the, you know, the smallest girl in kids' church, you know, maybe like a little Abby or something like that, you know, you know, that was in the video. And, you know, she'd pull, and, uh, you know, we'd put our big burly sixth grader on the chair, and she could pull him off, right? And the point is, is, you know, bad company corrupts good character, right? That if you're connected with somebody uh, for a long period of time, it's easier for them to pull you down than for you to pull them up. We get that. Now, that doesn't mean you don't hang around non-believers. Uh, you've got to be strategic and you've got to be careful about those things. But as I dug into this verse this week and studied it, that word company, bad company, really describes what, uh, what some would call sermons or lecture or messages, uh, and they will lead to bad morals. The idea behind this is that bad theology or bad thinking corrupts good morals. So let me just say, and I know we got some guests with us, and if your church does not preach the Bible, okay, yes, I love that. <laughs> it will ruin you. Listen, if your church is not uh, taking God's word as a standard and they just preach whatever, it will ruin you. If you are spend time with people who have bad theology and you're hanging around with them and you're philosophizing all the time, it will affect you. As a man thinks, so is he. It speaks to the importance of God's word. Look what God says in Psalm 119, verse 9. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to the word. We've got to keep the word as our standard for theology and for godly living. And you say, well, why would we live a holy life? The incentive is for sanctification, which basically means it's the process of becoming holy. And because uh, righteousness flows out of you, your life becomes an offering to the Lord. You're presented to him, pure before him. Verse 34 says to stop sinning. Paul says they should have known this. He's saying, look, I'm reminding you of this. He's saying this is important. You've got to have a pure life to the best of your ability with God's help. And what happens is that God, he takes that and he begins to sanctify us. The idea is that he cleans us up. The moment you're saved, you're not sanctified. Uh, you are justified just as if you've never sinned. But then there's a process of growing in the Lord and shedding some of those uh, old patterns and old things. And God, he wants to help us in that, in the resurrection, is an incentive for us to go along that path. God wants us to be holy. John MacArthur says this, a theology without resurrection is a theology that doesn't know God, and that kind of theology leads to bad living. It just does. So let's wrap this up this morning. The first is we've got this incentive for salvation. Incentive for salvation. And what does that mean? And, and, as you think about your own life, do you need 
to surrender your life to Jesus? Do you need to be saved? Or are there people in your life, are there people in your life that need to hear about the resurrection of Jesus? And if so, this morning we're going to give you an opportunity in just a second to receive Christ. What about the second, an incentive for service? Are you sacrificially giving of yourself? And I know some people, they shy away from that sacrifice, sacrifice. Listen, the more you sacrifice on this side of eternity, the greater your reward will be in heaven. And some of us, and I can get caught up in this just as easy as anyone else, we live for today. I mean, just honestly. We, we don't have an eternal mindset a lot of times. So what are you doing with your life? And I want to just challenge us that we are the body of Christ, right? And the question is, how can you love God and not love the things that he loved most? And what did he love the most? He loved the church. He loved the body. In fact, Jesus died to create the church, to create the body of Christ. I just want to challenge you, how does that affect you when you hear that? Does it challenge you on the core of your being about your serving, about your giving of your time, about your service? And then that third piece, an incentive for holy living or sanctification. Some say this, and I've heard this, and you've probably heard it before. Oh, I'm, you know, it'll just be a party in hell, right? I'm just, I'm going to go to hell, and I'm going to just be there with all my buddies. Or just be one big party. Well, listen, they're deceived if you believe that because the Bible says in Revelation that hell will be utter darkness. The idea is that you would be alone for an eternity. Alone. You will see no one and you'll be tortured for an eternity. That's what the Bible describes. So the question is, is what will you present to Jesus? A holy life? A life full of service? Or are you going to just squeak by and do the bare minimum? And so this morning, I want to just challenge us. And I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just want to ask a couple quick questions in regard to what we're talking about. And the first has to do with salvation. Do you know for sure that you are a believer, that you have Christ living inside of you. And if you do, I want you just to raise your hand with confidence. You're saying, yep, I know. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I know that. I've accepted Jesus. You can put your hands down. Yeah. Lots of hands went up, as we'd expect, probably. The reality is that there were some here this morning that either didn't raise your hand for some reason uh, or maybe, and, and possibly because you don't know for sure if you've accepted Christ. And I want to give you that opportunity this morning. The Bible clearly says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means that there's no one here that's good enough to get into heaven. And so because of that, Jesus was sent to this earth to die, to take our sins, and he covers our sins. If you're here this morning and you need your sins covered by Jesus, you need salvation, I want you just to lift your hand right where you are, and I'm going to pray with you. If you need Jesus to save you, don't walk out of here without accepting him. 
And we're going to lead you in a prayer in just a moment. Who here this morning says, that's me. I need Jesus to save me. Anybody at all? Just going to take a moment here. Did you search your own heart? If you are saying, man, I'm not sure. I, I need Jesus. Would you slip your hand up? I'm not going to embarrass you. I just sense that there may be someone or even a few that need to accept Jesus as their Savior. Anybody at all? I don't see any hands this morning. I want to just take another step in baptism. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, um, just let me see. Uh, we, we raised our hands saying, yep, I know I'm a believer. Um, how many of you this morning have been saved and been baptized, water baptized? Yeah, sure, lots of hands. And if you are here and you're saying, man, I have not been baptized, I'm going to challenge you this morning. It's a sign at this point of obedience. It could have been ignorance before this, but after today, as you understand baptism, it's linked. You're saved and you baptize. You're saved, and our earliest opportunity for us is Good Friday. Don't let this Easter pass by without being water baptized. And there's a sign up out in the lobby. I want to encourage you to do that. I want everybody to stand this morning because we're going to talk now about serving. And I just want to challenge you this morning that we, as the pastoral staff, and as the staff here at the Gateway Church, we exist to equip the saints for service. It's not Deb doing all the work in the back, or Pastor Bobby doing all the work, or me doing all the work. We are to equip you to do works of service to be engaged in the body of Christ. And you know better than anybody what that service level looks like for you. And I just want to challenge you. If you've been on the sidelines, this is your time to get in the game, to get on the playing field and start to serve. And maybe to some of you, that means opening up your home for a small group. Maybe for some of you, that means volunteering in the nursery or in the preschool department or maybe serving with the youth group or maybe starting to usher or count or work with the sound and tech or maybe you greet people on Sunday morning or maybe you join one of our prayer teams. There's something for every single one of us to do. But this idea of showing up to church, can I just be so bold? Checking in, checking out. And not serving with the body of Christ, that's not from Scripture. I want to challenge you. Where, what's your level of service? And my guess is that there's a lot of us that could up our game. And that's what God would want to speak to your heart this morning. He's urging. He's, he's uh, bringing you along lovingly, saying, okay, this is your time. Let's go. Let's get involved. Let's, this is our chance. Let's go to a small group. Let's participate in a women's night. Let's go to the men's event. Let's go to whatever the case might be. Let's go on a missions trip. We didn't talk about that this morning. To Knoxville or to Detroit or whatever the case might be. Listen, the Lord, he's, he's challenging us this morning in our service. And then lastly, that incentive for holy living. How many this morning need a boost of sanctification? <laughs> Yeah, 
What would cause you to desire to live a holy life? The resurrection. There will be a day that we'll be caught up with Jesus or if we are to pass and we take our last breath and we're put in the ground, our bodies will be resurrected to be with Jesus and we'll stand before Jesus and it'll be like the Olympics. That's the idea of the Bema seat. It's like a, um, like a podium. And we'll stand before the Lord and give an account for our every word, for every thought. And I just want to say, I need help with that. And my guess is we probably all do. So I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to help us. And then we're going to open up the altars to respond. And for any of those things, if, if you didn't respond to a salvation message saying, but you want to respond, I'm going to encourage you to come forward. Or if you didn't uh, respond, um, you know, saying, boy, you know, I, I need to serve, serve or my holy living, I'm just going to ask that you would come. And we're just going to spend a few moments in prayer before the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing. And God, I pray that in these moments you would seal these thoughts in our hearts and in our lives. You'd strengthen us. You'd help us to grow. Help us to know your will. Lord, I pray for those that don't know you as their personal Savior. God, that they would respond today. Today is a day of salvation. Lord, I pray for those that are being challenged to get in the game. or For those that are challenged like me to clean up our lives put our feet on a solid rock that we would be presented before you holy in Jesus name amen now I want to lead you in a, two simple prayers the first one really has to do with our sanctification the process of pursuing God to be holy and I want you to repeat after me only if you're serious don't say it if you're not but would you just say Lord help me to pursue you with everything. Purify my heart. Direct my steps for your glory and for your honor. And the second, I want you, if you're here this morning, you're saying, I need to get in the game. I want you to repeat after me, only if you're serious. Say, Lord, help me today to find ways that I can serve in my neighborhood, at work, in this church. Help my life to make a difference. Lord, use me in Jesus' name. And what it is, church, it's a life of surrender. I didn't realize that we were doing this song and uh, the Holy Spirit must have worked that out. Um, I've been camping uh, more than half the week and, and um, came back and kind of looked and said, wow, God put some things together. And that's what it is. It's a surrender. It's a daily waking up saying, okay, I'm going to give my life today. Let's start measuring our lives against Paul's. Some of you think you got it bad. Listen, listen. Let's start saying, speaking up. And if we're persecuted, so be it. If we're flogged or rejected, if we're hurt or even we have to give our lives for the sake of Christ, so be it. 
Lord, I pray that as we go, you'd continue to challenge us by the power of your word that's in us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Now I'm going to challenge you as you leave to mingle, to spend some time greeting somebody and saying goodbye. and. Uh, and as